0: Well, you know are i going to take the piss, don't you? So I'm Alistair X, uh, professional racing driver, uh, former triathlete, and uh, all round great guy. I'm really excited this week. Sorry, we you, do, you don't. You just don't sound that excited, if I'm honest, right? <laughs> it's the No Bullshit podcast, Accounting Podcast. If
1: we abbreviate that to knobs, wouldn't we? So oh, again, take uh, take yes.
0: two.
2: Take <laughs> two. Energy, Hello, what, energy,
1: what, cool fucking energy. fucking talking, to stand <laughs> up,
2: stand, stop. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Digital Tools in the Cruel World podcast. I'm really excited uh, this week for the guest we've got on, um, and we'll be talking to him in a minute. Um, but first, before I throw that over, I'm going to introduce my co-host, John Toon. John, how are you? How are things?
1: Uh, Hi Ryan yeah I'm great thank you I'm uh, looking forward to the pod I've booked my coronavirus uh, extra jab so I'm doing that on Friday which is super exciting and I am that old Um, and yeah just had a good week all around.
2: Cool cool and we've also got our wonderful uh, producer Indy. Indy how are you?
3: good. I'm really excited about today's episode because we've got someone that I feel is just going to add so much more energy to the podcast and has uh, come come out fighting from the last week, Accounting Web. We heard all about the great talks that he gave, and so I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say today.
2: Thanks, Indy. So I should probably introduce him. He um, is the amazing Alistair Barlow, probably the second most famous bald guy in accounting. Is that is that fair, Alistair?
0: After Carl Reeder,
2: is that? Oh, oh yeah, probably,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: I was going to go with myself, but no, you're completely right, I'll be Carl Reeder. Uh, how are you, mate? How are things? I,
0: I I am great, Ryan. I am great. I'm enthused, I'm excited, and I loved Indy's um, intro to me, and I loved how excited she was. I'm pretty sure you could have a little bit more excitement in your voice, Ryan, but um, it's probably been a long day for you. This is as excited as I get, Anister. That is uh, That the...
2: is true, actually, that is true, yeah. I just have a monotone. To be honest, it's still better than uh, my voice last week when I had horrific man flu and Indy had to take over. And wonderfully. You've you, 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 you dropped that in a few times. Is it, is it like send was... some cards through to Ryan or something? Yeah, you should. It was horrific. Uh, surprised I could even come onto the show. Um, oh, you're, so a anyway... you're a hero. You're a hero. Cheers, mate. Um, anyway, enough about me. Um, this show is all, all, it's going to be about um, you um, and data-driven advisory. Um, and so... Later, John will be uh, taking you through with a load of questions. But before we get to that, let's crack on with app news.
0: So when I listen to your podcasts, Ryan has terrible audio. Did we have uh, like a just giving fund for, for him buying a microphone? <laughs> Does anyone listen other than me? You are so, our don't... number
3: one fan. Yeah. No, we've I, got I, a I... couple more of you these days.
0: I just have different pseudonyms, that's all. He got to pretty much Chris Downing's dancing. He was owning the dance floor, yeah. Very impressive, a lot of energy, yeah. Look at that. Do you think wow. he'd be jealous of that? Very erect. For those that are on the podcast, um, John's talking about the microphone here. So important that I'm number nine on the list.
3: We wanted to build up an audience for yeah, you asked yeah.
0: I'm very honored to be in the top 10, I have to say, yeah. of, of people. You've soared since the first one on payroll. I was fearful of where's this going. But there's only one way you can go from where you start with payroll.
1: We're trying to appeal to all bases.
2: Right, so let's kick off app news this week. Who's got anything to start?
1: So I've got something uh, quite exciting. Uh, so I heard on the Grapevine God, probably a couple of weeks ago that, that Adrian Blair had left Dex or possibly walked out. Nobody's entirely sure what, what the real deal is, but uh, having checked on company's house, it's official. He has gone, resigned on the 7th of December. So it's quite an interesting uh, you know, role to fill and, and uh, you know, potential for, for maybe Dex to have a, a, a revisit of strategy and, and whether they felt that Adrian was the right person or whether he felt, he couldn't, couldn't work with the wider team. It's it's not entirely sure, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, whilst he was there, he's been there for two two years, um, and they'd, they'd had some investments uh, about twelve million quid from from HG, and also had rebranded from from Receipt Bank to to Dex, as so they become this sort of wider platform uh, for, for accountants. So he, he'd obviously seen some fairly fundamental changes for the business. Um, so yeah, really interesting in the context of, of other things that are happening in the market. Uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what what the next team do and who's going to be appointed into that role.
2: Yeah, definitely a shock. I don't think we saw that one coming. Um, something I didn't realise is that that just following the rebrand to Dex, which definitely didn't go down well in the community when it happened, is that the original Receipt Bank founders resigned. I don't know if there's a link there. No idea, but. There's something I completely uh, I just missed. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Dex Pirate, they've obviously gone through some acquisitions, they've changed their entire strategy under Adrian, although I believe it started before his tenure. And so, yeah, see if there'll be another pivot next time someone comes in.
3: I've got something else. Oak North Bank acquires Fluidly. So Fluidly, for those who, who don't use it or know much about it, which is very few, I'm sure. 1,300 UK accounting firms have subscribed to it in it's cash flow forecasting tool. And they surface proactive suggestions around cash flow, different types of financing options. Um, and there's good synergies between Oak North and Fluidly, because Oak North aims to empower the missing middle, which is a high growth, mid sized businesses. And it's focused mainly on peer to peer lending, but it also has a business banking offer. Um, they don't have as many business banks at the moment so there's around 50,000 that are operational within their portfolio and from what we've seen obviously peer-to-peer loans have been recently taking a bit of a battering most there's a few offers that have switched off so it's interesting to see that Oak North are pivoting slightly to encompass what are other types of perhaps financing options.
2: Yeah definitely I think you said i think it's correct that this is oak north's first acquisition fluidly so yeah interesting one i guess there is yeah some synergies between the two i i still unsure of that 1300 uk firm figure and how much of that is a is a paid for subscription and would would scale i don't know if you've got any opinions on on that john but from the way we use fluidly i'd we've struggled to really roll this out and scale to our our clients um
1: well i'm never short of opinions ryan uh, <laughs> uh facts are a little bit harder to come by but uh um yeah i mean my my my, uh, my read of that 1300 uh, uk accounting firms subscribed is that i don't think there's that many uh, nowhere near that many that are actually paying for the product. uh i know for sure that uh, the Fluidly team had been giving the product away, probably at the beginning of this year, possibly a little bit earlier, um, and, and that was definitely on a, on a drive to ramp up numbers. Whether that was connected to this sale or just connected to, you know, just general, um, you know, try, trying to trying to improve those metrics for a potential sale, I don't know. But that was my, my gut feeling at the time when it when it happened. I'm I'm with you, Ryan. I think you know short-term cash flow forecasting, you know, tools and apps aren't used you know frequently by by a hell of a lot of accountants because you know you tend to find that you use these but for businesses that, that tend to be struggling you know so their use case tends to be short-lived something we're talking about that kind of triage thing you know you get in you fix the problem and then you get out and you don't need to maintain that product obviously fluidly had sort of started to pivot the other way as well because they they had just that forecasting app in there to begin with I have got some uh, AI in there uh, which I think your accountants sort of scoffed at to begin with when it was first there uh, and then it started to move into funding so there's def- definitely a natural link between Oak North and Fluidly. going to be really interesting I think to see what Oak North now do with with that whether they uh, continue with the sort of funding platform that was built into Fluidly or whether that, that feeds back into their, their products and how they're going to utilize it you know, you know will there be you know, maintaining that link with accounting firms or will they go direct to market? The other key thing is that
2: Fluidly's owner, Caroline Plum, has strong links in that, that banking space. So it's not surprising that it was a bank that bought Fluidly. I think that was probably quite likely for both what you say, the development pathway and also her link. Um, so, yeah, I think it was coming. It was a big one, not a
3: big one, um, quite a few this year. The problem with it is that most of them acquired by banks tend to then is the bank that wants to hold a lot of that financing relationship. So I think for Oak North, for them, it's an opportunity to open up several different financing products to all of our existing customers. And potentially they can see a channel through the accountants again to a whole host more SMEs. That is probably the way that most banks want to navigate the course, but most banks also can't do that because they're hamstrung with the technology. the Neo banks are slightly different; they obviously want a light balance sheet and they want to keep it that way.
2: But has anyone got anything else that's not acquisition related?
1: Interesting news on Wise, who have released a live product uh, roadmap. And having just had a look at it uh, before we recorded, it, it's really interesting. I, I mean, I think it's a it's a great idea. You can see um, you know exactly what the team is working on, almost live. Uh, and you can also see what, what else they're going to be working on in the future. And, and you know, they're, they're clearly looking for yeah, user feedback as a way of upvoting uh, various developments and things. And you can you can filter out you know, by region, by product feature, et cetera, and looks really, really interesting. And they've also, as, an, as a slight aside, they've also released a, um, something really, really similar for the roles that they're wanting to recruit for as well, which I thought was, was quite a cool you know, way of going about recruitment. But the, the live product roadmap, a great idea you tend to see it with smaller you know new apps that come into the market and then for one reason or another they tend to just sort of disappear or get buried and which i think is quite frustrating because i think a lot of accountants or certainly if you're working with apps you want to have an idea of what the direction of travel is and have the ability to influence what features what developments are going to go into the product that will that will suit you
2: yeah and john am i right this is a like a kanban board style and showing you know what What's going to come soon slightly later out and how things are um, going to change and then there's a ability to kind of like you know for people with external to uh wise to to like suggestions to kind of vote on on what
1: yeah yeah it is it is very much sort of a yeah kanban style thing and it's broken down into sort of you know what they're working on now what they're going to be doing in the coming weeks and then what sort of plan further further down the line and it's a great idea. And I'd, I'd encourage more apps to, to do the same because we'd all like to see something similar.
2: Yeah, I know the Zero API team had one. I don't know if it's still in use, but it started off very interactive and then they scaled it back. And I don't think it was really being up as up, kept up to date in the same level. So it really needs to be a feature they properly invest in. Um, otherwise, people will lose interest in it and it won't have the value that I guess they've developed it for. Moving on from Wise, we... I've not really touched on FreeAgent much so far in, in the podcast, but they did a, a summary for 2021, which I thought was quite interesting, and I thought I'd run through what they've released. So over the course of 2021, FreeAgent released an end-of-year accounts and tax filing process, uh, similar to, I guess, the likes of QuickBooks, Online, um, Sage, and Xero. That included an e-signature, um, so you the accountant could take figures inside FreeAgent, create your accounts, create your corporation tax, get them signed by the client and submit. They further enhanced their cash flow forecasting tool to make that a lot more useful, more predictive um, analysis in there of where things would go as well as the ability to tweak and edit that. They enhanced the mobile app to a point where actually it won some awards this year. So um, that was quite powerful from their end and uh, brought in auto extraction from a receipt scanning point. Obviously that's been in place for a lot of the apps for quite a long time but they brought that in now to FreeAgent. And then what they call guest functionality for bank transactions, similar to what QuickBooks and Lion and Sage and and Zero do in the fact that as the transactions come through, the software is predicting how they should be treated. So FreeAgent have also brought that. So there's a bit of catch up with what the other competitors do in the market, um, as well as enhancing some other areas. And what they they did right now at the end of the year is um, bringing for the end of year, corporation tax fine, they've they've released the CT600A for that. As well, as some f- final tweaks to the mobile app, including the ability to create and amend transactions and improving bulk, as well as sorting transactions for, the, for banking. So, more just an overview of where Free Agent's been for the year because I know we've not touched it, on it much. They don't do massive release notes um, more just a, a, a slow release over the course of the year.
1: I'm a big fan of Free Agent, I mean, we use it within the practice for predominantly our freelancer team, um, and, and it's proof. If you like that an acquisition by anybody doesn't have to wreck an app, you know, I think when an RBS NetWest bought free agent, I think there was possibly quite a lot of skepticism that it might might go the way of uh, cash flow if anyone remembers that when Iris bought it. But it's proven to be really resilient. It's it's still a really great app. And I suppose you know, the other key thing for them is that they now, with IR35 rules, you know, effectively reducing the number of freelancers contractors in their space you know they've got to kind of pivot away and, and try and do more and probably that smaller end of the space where there's increasing competition but they have for a long time had you know really good bits of product in there like account production tax personal tax and things long before anyone else had even thought about it and long before um you know mtd had really started to force other products to develop uh, something in that space so you know it's a great app i don't know whether they're going to try and scale up to compete with sort of zero quickbooks i, I still feel that they sit and that sort of just one tier down, if you like.
2: Yeah, the smaller space. It's it's one that I guess I'd taken off my radar because I generally focus at the, the slightly larger area with the clients I work with. But no, the how they've come on especially in the last year with what they've developed yeah it looks it looks like something i'm going to need to pick up again
1: okay so i've got something else as well on uh good old open banking my favorite favorite topic so api metrics and Finextra launched a brand new dashboard covering apis that they could get access to providing a whole host of data on uh, the open banking apis but also some of the crypto platform apis and just indicating sort of you know how they're performing what the quality of them is in terms of how uh, the pass rate, the speed, how long they've been live for, if there have been any other problems. So it's, it's really interesting, having seen some of the feedback when I, when I posted this on LinkedIn the other day, you know, I think a few people in the space have said there are still some metrics on there that are an indicator of good quality that, that, that are missing. Um, obviously, the uptime and the speed and things is relevant, but, but it would be interesting if they could build some more um, insights into that. So it's a really interesting first, first start. I had a quick scroll through some of the metrics and it was quite interesting to see which banks were performing and, and which weren't. It's great news, I think, for the space and for developers to, to see more data and more insights about how things are working.
2: Were the uh, the banks that were not performing the ones we probably expect to?
1: So that 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 is actually what I thought was quite surprising. So, you know, some of the high performing banks were some of the high street banks, which many of us would think, well, you know, they're always a little bit behind on technology and so we wouldn't expect them to be performing as well. So it was that was quite interesting.
2: A discussion I was in the other day was talking about APIs and the fact that they're going to increase. We talked on the last podcast about PubDocs Fetch has been basically pulled to go onto more an API connection basis. Yep. I think over time, we're going to see a more standardization of APIs. So the fact that you've got a, a tool out there that can now benchmark speed is going to be really key for those developers. Less so, I think, of the general public but for I guess what we do and, and developers and people making you know advising this area, I think it's going to be a very powerful tool as it develops. Still very early on at this stage.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I, for me, I always think of APIs as sort of the plumbing of you know the cloud data space. You know, if you've got good quality APIs, then you you know you're not going to have leaks. Effectively, you're going to get the data that you want. It's going to be passed over in the way that you want it, uh, and in in a in a format that that's workable and. Equally, if it can pass back in the same way, that's even better for us. You know, not all integrations and APIs are built, are built equally, and that's the key thing is that some apps will say that they've got an integration with something like Zero, and then when you start to dig, dig, dig a little bit deeper, it might not actually even be an integration. It might be you know, an export and an import function, or it might be a one-way pass of something, and that doesn't really always work in the workflows of a business.
2: Yeah, Those in marketing do stretch the limits of what is fact, don't they, Indy?
3: Never. I don't know what <sighs> you're talking about. I would say some would say the same about accountants, actually.
2: <laughs> no, we don't. know. it's all fact with us.
1: Marketing and accountancy, that's, uh, is, is that not sort of a myth?
3: No, it's match made in heaven. Speaking of banks, Coconut ditches its business bank accounts to focus on bank statement feeds. So it's focusing on its platform and leveraging the bank's underlying system. More of a focus on its self-employed, which confuses me because last year they were trialing some um, softwares to do with self-assessment for the self-employed, but they ditched that as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's more the size of client. So they're their tech is looking on a simplified way of doing income and expenses and then predicting what your tax liability would be, whereas we're not looking at corporates and the complexities that go with that. So individuals, freelancers, uh, self-employed is their key target market. And the, the interesting bit for me was that, yeah, they've got, are going, we're not going to do banking anymore. We're just going to be that app that uses the open banking, net, the rails, so you can be on any, any bank you want, but you'll use our app to interact and run your business or whatever you, your side hustle is.
1: It doesn't surprise me that they've ditched the the business bank accounts because that's highly regulated area. It's uber costly and it's very difficult to generate money from it, you know, particularly if you're running current accounts for example. And you know, if you look at the sort of space they were effectively being compared to the Monzo's, the Starling's, the Revolut's of the world and so it's that's incredibly challenging competitive market to get into and they were also saying in the press release that for for their target market we just talked about free agent which is now owned by Natwest RBS and if you get a, a metal account or or a new uh, you know new business account with them you get free agent for free so that's a compelling compelling reason not to use something else but i think what coconut were also saying was that quite a lot of um, freelancers, sole traders, are still using personal accounts for business expense, expenses and everything else, and so their app is now allowing people to, you know, still continue to do that, but extract the relevant business business parts of what's going on from from the bank account. Which so I think it's a really interesting not surprising but positive move from from coconut why try and do something that lots of other people are doing when you can just now with open banking just collect that data yourself and then do what they do really well which is effectively coding up those transactions
2: yeah and i think as open banking rolls out and you get more functionality it's it's pushing that separation so that banks will be underlying platform but you'll do all your interaction with the apps that's over the top Um, interesting one for the banks because how are they engaged with the clients if they've not got that interface but that's a different issue. Yeah. They seem focused on building accounting software at the moment. So
1: I think you're right. I think you know Lloyd's. Lloyd's have just announced or just just released a uh, effectively like an an accounting system that sits over the top of their business bank accounts, and it's very interesting. So do you
2: see then, John, that the release of the accounting software is a selling point that would encourage clients to join that bank, or is it more of a once they've come, they've got a bank account? they get a free piece of software. So it's actually restricts them going elsewhere because they've got nothing else to look at. Everything's kind of marketed through the bank. What's your take um, on
1: that? I think for the high street banks, I think that's got to be a way of, of them retaining custom. We know that over the last sort of 18 months, two years through through sort of COVID, that the high street banks have effectively shut up shop, haven't taken on new customers. And so all of the the neo banks, the fintechs and the, and the, and the new starts have, have been you know just scooping up new business left, right and centre they've obviously already had to a degree some of this functionality in there and so you know i think i think the main the main high street banks are having to you know just get back on parity if you like in terms of offering some of those features but equally we know that once you're into banking it's fairly sticky you know you don't tend to move so this is just a way of of those banks leveraging the data isn't it in terms of you know they probably had that in-house anyway because obviously they see the transactions and what's going through but I, I suspect that we haven't really had a platform to kind of leverage that that information that data in in a really positive way
2: yeah i I don't see the the banks winning new work for any of this i've got a few quick updates on just a few apps which i'll run through so FreshBooks, which we talked about got a lot of funding we talked through on one of the the past podcasts canadian-based software their plan was to develop the software further and do some expansion and uh, they've just released a receipt scanning tool they've catching up, I guess, with some of the, the tech that's already out in the
1: marketplace. do you think that's weird? I think it's weird. Like, why, why bother doing that? There's so many great OCR apps out there. Dex, you've got auto-entry, you've got a whole host of others. Why spend the dev time on building that into your product when what happens is, unless that's the best way of getting your expenses and everything else scanned and extracted in the system, I'd much rather pay 10, 15 quid a month for something that does it really, really well and then just push it into the software.
2: Well, if you take what zero have done on this they released a simplified tool with zero expenses and they've got a lot of clients using it so there is a way to generate new revenue if you're charging for it i don't believe that was freshbook's intention here i think they're just trying to enhance their software to encourage more to to come over to it from competitors so looking at what is it something that they've being used in the competitor software that we need to replicate to make sure that that's not a stock gap that says we're not we're not transitioning, they're matching what the competitors have in the market. So Next Minute, uh, a construction or project management based app have released something called back costing, which is an effect comparing actual costs against estimating costs in real time on a job and task level. In reality, I thought this is something that Next Minute already had. I believe they already had all the functionality to do that. I think it's maybe more, more an interface over the top. So an interesting one this year. We've got Deputy that have made updates to their mobile app. Deputy is a a timesheet and rotor system that integrates into most of the major accounting software providers. Uh, They've created a new home tab for easily clocking in and out via the app, as well as uh, enabling managers the ability to approve time and leave directly from inside the app rather than having to log in via the website. And then the final one I've got is that Brightpay have announced or basically hinted that they're gonna have their fully online version in 2022. Interesting one, because I believe there's been demanded by their clients for a long time and has been delayed so it'll be good if it,
1: it does come in definitely. definitely that needs to happen for BrightPay if they want to you know maintain their position they've got to get fully cloud now they've had this kind of hybrid cloud set up for a few years now which works it's not perfect and all the heat from them in terms of competitors is, is coming from fully cloud-based solutions so they've got to do that shift otherwise they're going to lose um, you know they're going to lose custom
2: Oh, and I think, Indy, you've got a few raises for us this episode.
3: Yeah, we've got four that we picked up on. And the first one is Plio, which has been everywhere on, on social media. they picked up $200 million for a $4.7 billion valuation. It's an extension of its Series C round, which it previously picked up $150 million on. It's the largest ever for a Danish startup. So... The plan is to use it for acquisitions and global expansions currently in six countries and plans to be in another 14 and further expand the product. The aim is to be an all-in-one expense management solution. It has 20,000 customers, which is up from 3,000 six months ago. I'm not surprised, but I'd be interested to see how many of those 20,000 are active.
2: Well, they've got a free offering now at PLEO. So I think that's probably massively expanded their client base so they're doing the whole freemium version. You come in small, get something, and then as you grow, you have to start paying for the product. It's an interesting one. They've there are everywhere. And the amount of development that's going to the product is has been huge over the last two years. They've gone from just that virtual physical card payment provider to now have out of pocket expenses, the kind of overhead expense management tool, as well as what they had before.
1: They were one of the first to build open banking payments, which is always exciting. It's exciting for me, anyway. It's so good to see.
3: Next on the list, we've got Pento, who raised uh, 35 million Series B six months after they raised 16 million dollars in a Series A round. So they declined to comment on the valuation. It's a relatively new payroll solution to the UK, claims to save up to 80 percent in payroll processing through automation. Generally, they target around 30 to 500 employees with some up to 2,000. They're using the funds to expand into Europe and further develop products and integrations. It's currently integrated into HR products and pension providers, and its open API is in beta.
2: Yeah, so Pento is an interesting one. I think that they're going to grow f- significantly in the UK, especially with the delay with BrightPay out online. Um, offering so fully cloud-based definitely one to keep an eye out
3: next on the list is anchor who raised 15 million in a seed round it's an autonomous billing platform they provide end-to-end billing and payments Ryan I know you know a bit more on this one
2: they're focusing on um that that whole kind of engagement with the client and automating that that process so you create an online agreement in which you will state with the client when what you're going to deliver and how the the Invoicing will work. You get the client to provide how they're gonna make payment and that's all secured inside the platform. The invoices automatically generate when you hit those milestones, which I guess will be time dependent as it's automated. They can't work on where you are from project-based because it's not a project-based app. And then as the invoice is raised, the money gets collected and automatically reconciled and pushed into the accounting platform. So really interesting in how they're approaching this. The website is sayanchor.com in case you want to check it out. And at presently integrate into QuickBooks online rather than the other accounting platforms. So very new, especially as a seed round. But I assume they're going to develop this further to integrate into the other accounting platforms over time.
3: Finally on the list, we've got Bunk, who secured the largest ever European initial funding round. So Series A of 193 million at a valuation of 1.6 billion billion so it's a Dutch challenger bank that is planning to expand through Europe they have to date grown because they have uh, business bank accounts that are aimed at freelancers this is the first time a neobank has ever raised that much in funding Uh, and I think it was through a British they raised through a British private equity firm pollen street capital and that's it from me on the raises If you partake in certain banter that John tries to elicit and make you repeat, just know that the second time you repeat it, it means that I will include it in the edit.
0: I like the intros and the outros. I think they're good fun. That's that's the part to listen for. I was on the edge of my seat, going, "Come on, this this is how you define a unicorn." Do you I know how heard,
3: many champagnes I'd had by that point?
0: Someone's living the high life. Well, sounds no, I mean,
3: it sounds yeah, not enough.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty yeah.
1: sure she came up and hugged me and
0: said, "You're Alistair Ballo, or
1: something like that." To be yeah, honest, she was hooking everybody. Oh,
0: I thought it was special.
3: <laughs> First time that I've ever experienced this where John has been lost for words when it comes to his innuendos. Just let it warm up. It's fine. Good
0: luck. That's all I can say. You know, there's still quite a lot of people here, normally they fuck off quite early. Maybe I'll just tell them to fuck off, right? No, let me see. Yeah, you got on. <laughs> fuck off. No, Ryan right. can rip me for uh, the audio. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. That's bad <laughs> yeah. So just making sure the T-shirt's in with, with some of our yeah. lovely partners there. And I'm actually wearing my Silverfin oh, the socks. Oh, socks? That? Yeah.
1: They're actually bit, really
0: nice. They're the they're best socks.
1: The best socks really from the show. Yeah.
0: From a bottle yeah. perspective, like Chili's Bottle's perspective, sage, sage probably, yeah, exactly. Sage are probably the best in that. But let's face it, they've got to be good at something, right? So they've been behind the curve. Yeah. They've rested on their laurels. They've milked it. If you look at typical McKinsey's or if it's BCG, two by two matrix they've kind of just milked milked it haven't they the cash oh, cow definitely. um and they, they've not innovated in the slightest uh or, or yeah. they've tried to innovate and they've,
2: they've got it wrong anister john does a brilliant um he brilliantly grills chris to be honest if you've okay, not got cool. that far it's um <laughs> probably the, the best interview in grilling
0: someone um do so... you know if i had if i had got that far i might not have turned up today if i heard that I might <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, that's
1: <laughs> that. So it's good
0: you wait so but as, as accountants we we generally just like are never happy and never satisfied with any tech product out there because what John wants from something, Ryan wants something different and I want something different. And they're trying to cater for all of what we want and we're all beating them up because they can't give us what we want. I mean, fair play. I think everybody in the, the FinTech or financial or accounting tech marketplace um, has done a great job in, in moving the, the needle um, in terms of how we can deliver services to our clients and what we can deliver. So that's that's fantastic however we're just never satisfied creatures you should have a card that says that's enough
3: but then i'd be holding it to john mace <laughs> <laughs> this, this is
0: this, this is a really this is really x-rated is not it or, or 18 with all the swearing in it
3: i cut a lot of swearing out and a lot yeah. of naughty stuff ryan do you remember his outro
2: yeah yeah i do yeah. this is an x-rated podcast don't let your kids
1: listen you learned what a snatch was earlier on as well didn't you
3: i did thank you for the educational lesson i yeah. did not know that that was something to do with weightlifting anyway interview
1: right and so delighted to have Alistair Barlow on from Flinder, and it's fair to say that he's probably one of the most well-known accountants in the UK space and probably internationally as well now if he if he can keep his profile going on LinkedIn we want to find out a bit more Al tell us about your background how did you come to starting Flinder?
0: Hey guys, great great to be on the show. Really enthused to be one of the first 10 guests. Yeah, really excited, thank you for having me on. Essentially, I, I spent 16 years at PwC, a range of experiences at PwC, starting in the world of audit, which I enjoyed at the time, but looking back, I was thinking like, what, what the hell was I doing? Uh, and then I went internationally, I lived in Amsterdam for three years and worked at PwC there. Got a great amount of experience in Starbating. So actually 404, worked some fantastic global companies such as Cisco uh, Systems, the guys who invented the network. And then came back to the UK, cut a long story short, I spent five years or so in consulting on, uh, basically as a finance function expert working on large global transformation projects. And then I was headhunted out the door and then PwC offered me this thing called my finance partner. And my finance partner kind of offered me that opportunity to have a bit more impact and led that business in London Southeast for three years and then uh, ended up seeing, you know, big big opportunity in the market, and decided to seize that. And uh, myself and Luke, my my co-founder, uh, left PwC, set up Flinder just under five years ago, and uh, here we are today.
1: Amazing. And I think it's fair to say that your first hire was a techie. I think is that is that right? And and did that was that sort of the intention? Did that set the tone for where the business was going to travel?
0: So we, we've always had a really clear vision for what we want Flinder to be stand for and deliver to our clients. And that's not about delivering p and and balance sheets. It's about really delivering insight and really delivering something that's valuable to our clients to make better decisions in the business. And operational data is a fundamental part of that merged with the kind of the brilliance that finance can deliver. I think finance is completely underrated by most businesses and business owners other than the savvy ones. And so it's really about meshing those two worlds together and delivering something of relevance to the business to make those better decisions and a lot quicker as well. So it was always part of the vision of Flinder. The very first hire into the team was Chris He has been with us now for just over four years. He's also ex-PWC. There is a general theme that runs through Flinder and who we... Kind of bringing to partner with and that sort of thing. So Chris, yeah, vital part of the team. He came from our old team, my finance partner. Probably something like six months in a day. You can probably do the maths there that we had restrictive covenants in place. He leads our data ops team in Northern Ireland.
1: Was that vision something you were formulating before you left PwC, and or, or was it something that you kind of you took the leap and then thought, shit, I've got to get my ass together? Eh?
0: Very much kind of strategic before leaving PwC. It was, this is the direction we see that this is the gap we see in the world at the moment. And this is the demand we see from the type of clients we work with. We work with very fast growing, complex businesses, typically equity backed technology. They're building technology, they're SaaS businesses or or now we've moved more into e-commerce as well as a second vertical, but those businesses, there was absolutely demand for it and it just wasn't, No one was delivering it. No one was giving them what they wanted. What we generally saw, certainly the clients we work with are becoming smarter, savvier. They want more than just kind of, I'll call it the basics. I don't mean that in a (laughs) a negative way to other accountants, but they want more than that. And so we have the appetite to deliver more than that. We have the appetite and we have a brilliant team around us that are really enthused, engaged, and want to just get more involved and more embedded in our clients than what say a traditional firm would do. Yeah, we're really about partnering with our clients, understanding the strategy, trying to align finance to the strategy, bring all those great principles that you have in a large multinational company where you have a finance like a proper strategic finance function that aligns to the business, understands the business and really delivers value to their stakeholders. And that's what we wanted to do and that's essentially the mission that we have at Flinder, and, and everything I've described before about the data and technology, that's all in our DNA.
1: What does your team structure look like? I know that we talk about techies and that's, that's obviously something that you've built upon in, in, in Northern Ireland, but you've got to have other accountants in there and other people with other skills. So what, what does that look like?
0: Do you know Jarvis from Iron Man? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we literally just have 25 Jarvises or Jarvi, if that's the plural, and they're all just robot and look and I just love it. And uh, that's, that's how it is. No, uh, I think that would be, great if, if we had robots like that to do all the processing stuff and then we had you know the human beings doing the, the software, communication the impact what's it mean that sort of side of things and i will come back to that because we do have a robot called eve in the business so if you look at our delivery model oh actually look at our locations we've got three locations right so i mentioned we've got center of excellence in belfast which is data ops we have a shared service center in india which is about 12 people that are doing transactional processing up to in some instances preparing management accounts is that
1: our Outsourced or is
0: that in-house? It's offshore, outsourced with a third party. So, so, so we use a Global Infosys (GI) outsourcing as um, as our third party there. But essentially, those people and offshoring works well because they're fully embedded within what we do as a business. Like they'll be on our strategy call, our quarterly strategy calls. They'll be on our week or fortnightly all hands calls. They'll be on our Slack. They have Flinder email addresses. They are one hundred percent Flinder people. So they're so fully embedded within our business. And we give them objectives aligned to our business as well. And like they're, they're really, really part of our team. And then we have a team in the UK of about in London of about 25 or so trainee accountants or qualified accountants, all the way from people that are studying AAT through to ACCA, ICAW, all the way up to what we call portfolio CFOs, which are essentially relationship directors. We have a pod structure like you might hear in many businesses. Now, our pods have nine people in them. So it's one manager that leads that pod of eight. And we have four onshore people and four offshore people at various levels. Two offshore associates, so they're very junior people. Two onshore associates who could be AAT qualified or nearly qualified. And then two offshore senior associates, which will be qualified. And then two onshore senior associates who will be part qualified. And then a manager that leads that pod. And that's the kind of the pod functional structure. And we'll have pods and they'll be named after ski resorts that we go to. And then we have portfolio CFOs, that look after sectors. They'll concentrate and specialize in SaaS and tech, for example, which Dave leads, e commerce, which Fatima leads, and then Julian and Carol will pick up from different sectors there, but they'll be very much sector focused. Beyond that, we've got other roles in there. So we've got a learning and development manager who has a kind of, you know, a 50 50 role with learning and development and operations, and then myself and Luca kind of the C suite. So he's the COO, I'm the CEO. And moving into next year, we're, we're looking for more infrastructure rules, which will be around an in-house HR recruitment person, an in-house yeah ops manager which is essentially a practice manager and a BD manager to, to kind of alleviate some of the stuff that I'm doing and, and help out there.
1: You talked about the fact that you sort of differentiating yourselves from more traditional accounting firms but does that require a, a mind shift change within the organisation because you know clearly that was your vision but how do you translate that vision to the rest yeah. of the team? No, it doesn't require a mind, mind shift.
0: A mind <laughs> shift set in the organisation because that's who we are. That's the DNA. When we hire, it certainly yeah. is a different <clears throat> mindset that we hire from. So no, within it's, the organisation because that's the DNA, and we only hire for people like that, and we train them, and we embed yeah. that in them. But yes, as people come in, it's kind of like, well, actually, you know, we are doing things differently. We've got a different kind of, we start from a different origin and we're always focused on value, value, value. And this isn't about, are we delivering something valuable, like for the firm? Obviously that is, and that's reflective if you deliver value to a client. But it's like, what does that client care about? If they get up in the morning and what is the pain? What's the first thing they care about? Is it, is it cash burn? Right. Or is it they want to see the numbers like on the first day of the month just a flash revenue report? Or is it, is it is it something else like is it investor reporting? Whatever it might be is what does that client care about? Let's spend all our effort and priority focusing on those value points for our client.
1: For many accountants, smaller ones in particular, that haven't operated in these sort of high growth areas, that for them would almost be completely alien, wouldn't it?
0: yeah it would do and that's great because they they they're, they're not right for flinders and we're not right for them yeah. so there's a self self selection there and so how
1: do how do you sort of coach that out because obviously you sort of say there's a pwc sort of dna running through the firm you know due, due to historic connections which is kind of understandable but how do you kind of coach that big four mentality out of people as well
0: so you said, how do you coach the big four element out of people? I think there's elements of big four, which are fantastic. I don't think should be coached out of people because I think actually the there are elements there that you're you're taught and you're trained is, is to all, one of our core competencies in PwC was putting yourself into your client's shoes, right? Which is probably a tried and tested phrase that's used too often. What it's all about is very good. It's about going. What does my client care about? How can I align myself to what they care about? And I think that's really important. But yeah, you're right. There are some things there. So, you know, if we were to hire an ex-auditor, and we, we do have some ex-auditors, I'm an ex-auditor, Luke's an ex-auditor, but I yep. think that does require a different mindset or a different perspective. But equally, there's some elements of that that are really valuable because, you know, if you look at our, a bulk of our clients, they, they raise equity. And actually, one of the biggest things that a investor will be put off is a lack of, lack of governance, lack of control in the business. That is probably the biggest thing that puts investor off. And so there's an element there where you can deliver value because of kind of governance and control, but you can't live your whole accounting life and profession, talking to the clients we do by just kind of going, we can be better controlled here, we can better control. My clients don't give a shit about that, really. Yeah, they, they want to be controlled in the eyes of the investor and want to have a good balance of control. But they want to, as soon as possible, they want to know what's going on in the business to be able to make a very, very proactive decision. So it's all about timely, accurate information. You know, we interview people who just aren't right for Flinder, And yeah. that's fine. They're more right for someone else. But there's an element of selection there. The first morning, uh, anyone joins Flinder, they have a session with me. And it's, let's just reiterate who we are what we're about what's in our dna what's our mission how we do it how we go about it and that's really important and that's the start of uh, the journey with them
1: so is Splendor a, a people first business or is it a tech first business
0: I'd like to think it's a people-first business. Uh, Maybe if you ask the team, they'll have a different view. They may say it's a client-first business, right? I I would hope they say it's a people-first business. We invest in our people quite heavily in lots of different ways. There are three things that I always say we exist for. We exist for helping our clients to make better decisions. We exist to help develop our people as, as sound professionals for the future that they need. And we also want to contribute to the progression of the profession they're the three things we're passionate about we i I give up a lot of time for the profession generally we obviously focus on our clients and we do a lot of investment in our people both in the classroom and out the classroom and i want to say in the classroom i mean we're developing kind of our own l syllabus we invest quite a lot in people's learning and development in the way we do things at flinder and what tech businesses need what e-commerce businesses need how they operate and wider softer skills as well such as project management and that sort of thing and then also out of the classroom we do a lot of fun things we take them skiing we we do weekends away we do drinks we do this that and the other and we try and make it as fun as possible and i'm sure i'm sure everybody says that in every firm right but look look and i were employees not that long ago and we set a business up that we wanted to get up on on a monday morning and not think fuck it's monday morning we wanted to go wow it's monday morning this is awesome i can't wait to get to work and i'm sure not everybody thinks quite like that right quite quite as much as as look and i do but You know, we believe passionately about making it an environment for people to push themselves professionally.
1: And you've got a number of sort of like app partners and stuff that you you work with. But if a new client comes to you, are you one of these accountants that sort of turns around and says, well, if you're not on these platforms, we don't deal with you? Or how does that kind of conversation work?
0: Yeah, so so normally it's if they're not on a cloud application, we we won't entertain any conversation with them unless it's an appetite to move to a cloud application. We will never work with a business that's not cloud or not going to be cloud within the next 30 days that we put them on. That's kind of the first one. We have some preferences because we run the full end-to-end smart finance function, right? Largely, our clients don't really care. There's some instances where, you know, we're talking to one at the moment and they're on an application which wouldn't be our chosen general ledger but they've filtered through the organization. They're so embedded and entangled with this one general ledger. There's no way we'll be able to move them. Right. So it is what it is. And we work with, we work with, you know, three, four, five different general ledgers, but the vast majority of like 99% of our clients are on zero as a, as a general ledger. And so you know that that's probably the favourite one we we're, we're actually a developer partner with zero as well um mm-hmm. which helps so we do a lot of work with back end of zero the other applications in and around it for our app stack our clients don't really care they care about the outcomes <laughs> in many ways it's like why do you why do you care why do you care if we use dex why do you care they just want a well-controlled, efficient, insightful finance function, and that's what we deliver for them. And it's down to us to get the tools right for them.
1: Your niche is that high-growth SaaS business space. What happens when they get they get past that zero scale?
0: So the interesting thing about zero is what? Maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, it was marketed to the plumber and the the window cleaner, and that, or maybe ten years ago, it was marketed like that, right? these days with the add-ons there and you you can you can put a lot more complexity through it with the ecosystem it's in and so actually you can run a business which is you can run a business which is 100 million on zero and you might it might get clunky when you've got a bunch of zero entities around the world and you need to consolidate and obviously there are other tools in and around to do that It, it can get a bit clunky and a bit funky but i think overall most of our clients still zero is still the right thing as we go into FY22 and we look at our strategy for FY22. We are looking at right is something like NetSuite, we, do we need to become an accredited implementer for suite Do we need to start looking at Sage Intact to be to understand that? And, and there's a client we're talking to at the moment that will go on to Sage Intact. We've been an, an accounts IQ partner since day one, really. You know, one of our client projects we implemented accounts they had some like 55 sage on-prem instances so there was a rationalization anyway of the entities because some of them were very very small and then we migrated them to accounts iq and that transformed their closed process like they got consolidated accounts once a year right and now they're getting consolidated accounts monthly within you know a matter of days which absolutely transforms them. let me not beat around the bush our clients are bloody complicated
1: <laughs> i like, think that issue Would become more prevalent on the e-comm side, you know, because obviously you you, tend to be on low value, high volume transactions, which have become quite difficult to manage, don't they?
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting. We're going through this review at the moment. So, so e-comm and SaaS businesses are very different. You know, you've got a physical product there, which Depending on who manufactures it, whether it's third-party manufactured or, or contract manufacturer, or whether it's you, you're holding different components of raw materials, work in progress, finished goods. Might be in different warehouses globally. You might have to track that. You'll be you'll be you have landed cost, you have cost of goods sold. It just gets complicated. So it's a different price point, even for a business that's that's turning over the same amount. Zero inventory you ain't going to cut it for those types of businesses. But but again, when you get into the realms of very fast going e-commerce businesses, it's kind of like. Yeah, you might have low value, high volume, but it's supremely high volume when they're fast growing. And therefore, you know, some of these add on apps, are they really going to cope with the growth and the potential the business has? Um, so that's that's probably one of the challenges we're looking at at the moment. And then you get into things like demand planning. If you start, start the perspective of the business and actually do this properly and go, OK, what what's our demand planning look like? And then conversing that into you know how many days how many days do you have to order in advance and pay in advance and product on the high seas and this that and the other it gets really really complicated there's a huge amount of opportunities to help those businesses but it does cost them and I don't think they're always all prepared to pay for that but again it comes back to demonstrating the value
1: curiosity really but how do you deal with all those add-on costs is that something that you absorb as part of the service delivery or is it on charge to clients
0: it depends Let's take approval Max, right, as an example. Approval Max, we will normally charge a client for implementation. And so for those aren't familiar, approval Max will give you a much greater control environment around purchase orders and kind of approval workflow. And so approval max, we'll, we'll charge for implementation and we'll normally say this is the cost of the application. Like you, you know, we'll we'll charge it onto you. When it comes to Dext, as another example. For those who aren't familiar with DEXT, get your head out of the sand, uh, quite frankly. And um, so, so when it comes to when it comes to DEXT, our view on that is it makes our bookkeeping life more efficient. So it saves us, saves us a bunch of time. So we pay one fixed fee for it and we don't charge our clients for that. We have different views depending on the application. And
1: are there different levels of the service, or is it kind of like, you know, if you if you buy Flinder, you kind of get everything? Because obviously. You know, different businesses will have different internal finance structures before you you become involved so you know are you moving in to take out those people that are there or are you moving in to facilitate freeing their time up to do something else
0: yeah a I, I mix of all actually so a few different examples are you know we, we, we could have, we talk to a business that's maybe using kind of a legacy accounting firm and they go we're not really getting much value from them they're late they're not proactive when we contact them it's like they're not interested and they don't give us any advice it's typical uh, an accounting firm's engaged, not really had a conversation with the business and just gone, we'll do the same old stuff again. And so we'll come in and we'll go, right, okay. It depends on the size of the business, complexity of the business, where they are on the journey as to what they need. Our minimum is, you know, it's about 650 quid a month and we'll do quarterly work for that, right? We never really do that for a business on a very long-term basis. We'd only do that if we saw that there was there was going to be some potential to move to a monthly relationship or even more than that. Because um, that, that's where we can add more value other examples might be we're talking to business at the moment and i think there's like three different parties involved they might have an accounting firm that that does a bunch of work compliance work and fat payroll and the accounts then they might have a bookkeeper either in-house or 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 kind of someone that does one day a week two days a week kind of thing and then they might have a part-time fd that comes in once a month or twice a month that sort of thing um or even some instances they might have a couple of hires and so they'll go, this isn't really working. And we'll go, well, it's because you've got three different parties and none of them talk to each other. So you've got no seamless, you, you, you just don't have a seamless team. You've got so many handoff points and guess what? Finance typically aren't good at talking to anyone. Now you've got three different people in finance that aren't going to talk and you've got the business. And so we come in and we'll go here, th- this is what you need based on what, what we think the requirements of the business are, the frequency of reporting, the governance, um, the board requirements, you know, the complexity, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, and we'll talk about the data sources in the business and what we can do with all of that. And, you know, here you go. Here's one seamless team that can do all for you. And guess what? We're Elastic we can grow as you grow and you don't have to hire someone but you don't have the stepped variable cost concept coming in whereby you need another person so we have this elastic finance team concept that we can just grow as they grow or contract if they go on uh, moments when they just don't need as much support if they've got a seasonal business or or kind of a project-based business
1: okay, so you guys use uipath i think we do we do and yeah. so she's going to be one of the bots i suspect that you guys are set up so tell us firstly about even why you decided to partner with uipath but then where do you think the future of RPA lies with accountancy? Because I know that you've you've done some quite interesting things there. Mm.
0: I think it's first time to torn on RPA. Actually, in some ways, I think RPA RPA is a sticky plaster over the top of broken systems, right? Is a way to look at it. So yeah, we use UiPath. We we tried we've tried a couple of, actually UiPath. UiPath was one that worked better for us. We've we've dabbled at it rather than anything else. Uh, essentially we we look we we looked and goes, where are our teams spending a bunch of effort with no real value? And and we saw there were a bunch of processes that we were spending a stack of time on for no real reward from a human being doing it. And we said, OK, well, can, can we do this in a different way? And so our question normally is, right, can we use technology to do this rather than a human being? And if we can't, the next question is, right, can we move this to a lower, uh, a lower uh, labor rate environment? Um, and so it's always, you know, first question, can we use technology? So on these ones, it was within zero and it was something to do with the bank reconciliation. And essentially we built a bot, Eve. Uh, aptly named to Eve as an evolution. So essentially we programmed this bot to do a bunch of work and work 24 hours a day. So one of the tasks is something to do with bank credits in Zero. And you know, where you have high volume of low value transactions, you know, you can get Eve running all night every day, every day, 24 hours a day working on it. Um, and then there are other things, you know, so one of our clients uses synth 7 synth 7 doesn't integrate that well with Zero. And what we're doing on that is we've programmed Eve to classify tracking categories on invoices that come in. And she does that automatically. So you,
1: are you doing that on, a, on an attended basis and if you're reviewing
0: it? No, it's, it's, it's fully, it's fully yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, there'll be, there'll be obviously like, uh, about month-end, yeah. month-end review, that sort of thing, would would pick it up, yeah. So um, no, no, it's fully, uh, it, it runs on a virtual machine in uh, AWS. More and more accounting firms are going in the direction of being this hybrid of accounting and having technology or data architects or data engineers in their businesses. I think that's the way accounting will go, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Sorry, that is the way accounting is going, not will go, it is going that way.
1: Well, it's definitely going that way because we're, we're on the recruitment drive at the moment for, for some software guys to, to help on that. One final thing, because I know these guys want me to shut up and want you to shut up as well, Al. So Obviously, you're talking about data there and data is really important and you kind of, you semi-touched on it before and in the debate that you had at, at Accounting Web Live, you're talking about timesheets and that's another data point that you guys utilize within the mm-hmm. business. Do you think that all of the vendors and to a degree, people like the ICAW and ACCA really understand the value of data in in accountancy firms?
0: I I can't speak for ICAW. In ACCA, they are putting a lot more... I think, yes, I think they are at a strategic level, at a white-label level, at an insights level, a paper level that they push out. I think they've done some fantastic work around data and some of the skills... the the courses on rpa courses on on data analysis and data science and and that sort of thing i think yes they are but i would caveat that with are we seeing it translating into the people that we're hiring i would question that we're early on in this right you'll always have early adopters before you or, or innovators sorry we're probably at the innovative stage right if you look at the early adopter curve and we're not we're not even early adopters so so the innovators will be the ones that are doing the courses, the ones that have the appetite to learn and to read and to, to, to learn more. We're nowhere near even at the early adopter stage, I think, on that in the world of accounting. So I think we have a long way to go, but this stuff's quite new, you know, and the value of it is quite, quite new. Quite new and just not mainstream yet. So I think ACCA is doing a fantastic job in that. And then, you know, you have your podcast like yours, you have Dan Cockerton at the Digital Accountancy Show, you have Johan at the Early Adopters Hub, and, and you know, a bunch of other people that I haven't shouted out that are really championing this as well. But we're still just only touching in the innovators stage of that curve, if I'm honest. But I think the more more it's talked about, the more examples that are given, the better. It'll just drive the profession forwards. I think no. industry is doing this better than than accountants' practice, though. Especially retail, understanding their customer base. You know, you have Tesco Club Clubcard, you have Sainsbury's. You know, these guys will be doing huge amount of data analysis on this, and mm. and, and that that will sit across between accountants and the data. And, and Jaguar Land Rover doing some in, in, incredible stuff around data analytics yeah. as well.
1: But that that is that is really big big industry, isn't it? It's not it's not the stuff that sort of translates into the into the SME space where you know the vast majority of clients sorry vast majority of accountants are working
0: yeah but imagine the different and convincing story if you're talking to a client and you're being a prospect you're talking about what you've done on a project that has lots of data different data sets and has high volume low value transactions that, that something can be done with this and you can identify correlations and you know trends and this that and the other like, isn't that a much more compelling story than, hey, we can give you uh, annual accounts and, and tax.
1: Where's next for Flinder, and, and and where do you think the sort of the wider technology space going? I mean, is this, you know, is Flindr going to become a, a software business or are you just going to stick being an, an accountancy stroke consultancy mm-hmm. business?
0: Well, it'd be remiss of me to say the next place Flinder goes isn't the isn't the Alps right um <laughs> for our for our ski trip right John just just adding that in there Ryan and Indy. next is really exciting for us um so so there's certainly you know m- much more growth you know we've only scratched the surface in kind of what we do in London, let alone nationally and and that will come at some point, but we are putting much more emphasis on the technology side so We are, as I say, we've got four people in a a center of excellence, data data ops center of excellence. So we're 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 kind of investing heavily in our own kind of data analytics platform, which will give us a lot more power, a lot more kind of customization uh, that we can do what we want when we want with. Um, So for us. That is really, really exciting, and our our our, our kind of brand refresh, if, if you see it, is a is a little bit less accounting and a little bit more what you would see from a technology company. So I certainly see the two merging in our world at Flinders. So very much technology and data led as a service offering. But yeah, we we are really moving into the technology space.
1: Cool. Well, <clears throat> Alistair as always, really interesting and insightful to, to hear from you. Great to know and understand a little bit more about Flinder and exactly what you do. And I hope you have a successful 2022. But more importantly, I hope that we have a good week scheme.
0: Yeah, me too. It's going to be awesome, John.
1: <laughs> cool. Thank you very much.
0: Cool, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, love chatting. Thank you very much for inviting me on.
1: It's all right. We just want to know when when you're going to start selling stuff to us accountants. Oh, that's all it is. We want to know. So
0: it's, all, it's all part of the master plan to become friends with accountants and then go. Oh, by the way, want to buy want to buy a, want to buy a dashboard.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
0: All the shit I gave Ryan for a shitty microphone and I can't even get on fricking Zoom properly. I think you need to change the name of the podcast. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's just impossible. The No Bullshit oh. Accounting <laughs> Podcast. We, we, we came
3: up with it over some drinks. Uh, it's brilliant. We're literally making a runway as the plane Earth is taking up. off.
0: You're making the wings as the plane <laughs> is driving down the runway. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I hope your mum doesn't listen to this, Cindy. <laughs> you
3: know, if me. she did, she'd probably call him an asshole too.
0: She was like, oh, um, is, is, it, is it Carl? And I'm like, no. Blender for all your data needs.
2: Shannon, take it away, Alistair. So
0: uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast, everybody. If you want to find out more about digitools in an accrual world, you can find us on LinkedIn, Brian Piercy, John Toon, Indy Tatler, or check us out on our webpage. Do we have a webpage? We've got a webpage. Check us out on our webpage. Give us a five-star review on Google. On are we on Google? Yeah. Give us a give us a five-star review on Apple Music, I think it's called now. And I've been Alice Barlow. Find me on LinkedIn, Google Flinder. Make sure you spell my name right. And uh, we'll see you next time.